Good day, good day, and welcome to Your Voice, Your Power. I am Anika Wilson, and today I have with me a guest that her story is impeccable and you guys are going to enjoy. So I'm going to go ahead and let her introduce herself, Ms. Kristen Van Ness. Hi, I'm Kristen Van Nest. I'm a writer, actor, director based in LA. Um, I run the, a YouTube channel called Night Pants, and I also have a following online for my comedic characters, personal essays, and the funny sketches that I make for YouTube uh, at Kristen Van Nest. And yeah, I live in LA. I moved here from Shanghai, where I lived in three and a half years, and started comedy. And thank you so much for having me on. It is a pleasure. You know, and I love the fact that, you know, being a podcaster, we have an international reach. And when you say that you live in LA and then you drop the bomb that you lived in China, you know, before we started working on these types of platforms, the world was spread out. Now it seems like it's a lot smaller than it used to be. So you must explain how you go from China to LA. Uh, what you, you have to you have to elaborate on that for the listeners. Yeah, so I was living in Shanghai, China. I lived there for three and a half years, and I worked in marketing over there. So I worked for a wine importer, the largest in the country, traveling all over China, hosting wine dinners, and as well as like overseeing the marketing strategy for some major wine wine wineries. Um, so I was doing that, and then. In the evenings, I was doing uh, comedy. Someone was like, you connect with people through humor. And I was like, I do? And they were like, yes. So I started doing improv and stand-up over there, which I love. There's about two clubs. Um, and yeah, there weren't that many women doing it. Um, but I had another female mentor who kind of encouraged me, and I got up on stage, and then I was hooked, addicted. Um, so I kept doing improv and stand-up over there, and then I visited LA. I wasn't planning on moving. Um, I just adopted a cat because I was like, oh, I'll be here for forever. Um, and then I went to LA, and I took a class at Upright Citizens Brigade, the comedy school, and there were two Disney princesses in my class. There was Elsa and Mulan, as in full-time princesses at Disneyland. So I was like, I don't think I want to be a princess, but you can be whatever you want in LA. I'm going to move here. So my little cat and I uh, packed up our bags in Shanghai and moved over here. Um, and I've been here for about two and a half years now and love it. So my question is, how do you bridge from marketing to comedy? <laughs> I mean, I, I get it because comedy is a natural skill and ability. It's one of those things that you either have or you don't have. But what, what led you to make that huge leap? Yeah, I mean, um, that was definitely a terrifying leap. And my mother's a painter. So I grew up in a creative family, but ah. I, saw her, I saw her financially struggle. So um, and I mean, we as a family struggled. So, um, I always hesitated acting on my creative side. Mm -hmm. And I also, I mean, I love international business. I love travel. I've been to over 40 countries. Um, so I always wanted to be an international businesswoman. That's what I wanted to do. I went to school in international affairs and economics. Um, so you know, I, I got to where I wanted to be. I was managing a team and 
So I had everything that I wanted, but I hated going to work every day. So I was like, hmm, something's wrong. Um, and so I started doing comedy just kind of for fun, but I just really, really loved it. And um, I just kind of, I felt kind of lost and I was like, okay, I'm ready to leave Shanghai, I guess. I, I, I love Shanghai, so I wasn't fully like, okay, I'm moving. Mm-hmm. I, but I was getting the hesitation. And Shanghai is a really intense city just because as a foreigner, everything around you is completely foreign. Like mm-hmm. culturally, mm-hmm. every single piece of your day is completely different than, yep. and you know, if you're like, looking for a balloon for your friend's birthday. That is a very difficult task. Mm -hmm. I had my first cry, like my culture shock cry in Shanghai because I couldn't find um, pumpkin filling on Thanksgiving. And I spent a whole day and went to five markets and it was polluted out. So my lungs were hurting and I just got home and was crying. My roommate was like, are you okay? And I was like, I can't find the pumpkin. And they were like, okay, I'm uh, just going to leave you alone. And I was like, thank you. Um, <laughs> but it was like, you know, it was like I couldn't find that thing that reminded me of home. Mm-hmm. So um, after three and a half years, I was kind of, um, and, you know, people live in foreign cities on cycle. So most are on two to three year contracts. So um, a lot of my friends were leaving and it was like, my options are make new friends which I just hate doing as an activity (laughs) or move somewhere else, which to be fair, if you move somewhere else, you have to make new friends as well. But, um, so yeah, there were like a lot of factors. And then I just came to LA and I was like, wow, it's like, there's no pollution here and the sun's out and people are really doing what they love here. Mm -hmm. And I knew I loved comedy. And so I was kind of like, I just need to make that leap. I made the leap moving to Shanghai. I can make the leap again. Um, and so I did it. I See, the thing that people don't understand is that it's courage, you know, and you said something that was profound. You said that you hated getting up and going to work. And you have a lot of people who have that reality and never change it. So, you know, even as uncomfortable as it is to move to another town or city or country, and I'm laughing because I just moved from Hawaii and (laughs) it's not, people don't, people think it's the U.S. and it is the U.S., but Hawaii doesn't know that it's the U.S. Um, And it was extremely the same feeling for me. It was, there was no sense of normalcy. There was no sense of home. There was, I felt abnormal in every way, shape, or form, no matter what I did, just simply putting gas in the car and going to the grocery store. Um, and sometimes when you are in a shift in your life, you have to have that, that comfort. You have to have some level of stability. And, you know, even as the strongest person in the world, you have to have certain things to be able to produce. And when you're a creative, you have to put those things in place so that you can create. And so it's interesting how you mentioned that you grew up in a creative household, you know, which kind of instilled in you to do what you love. And a lot of people 
disassociate money from happiness or, or associate it together when it should be disassociated. Because if you're doing what you love, then abundance will come. Um, and so I commend the fact that you made such a huge shift because when things aren't working, a lot of people don't have the courage to change any part of the dynamic. But when you change it, you force yourself to grow. Because like you said, yeah, you thought you didn't want to make friends, but moving ultimately you had to make friends. Sometimes we have to push ourselves to grow. You got to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation to make the adaptations that you need to make, whereas in otherwise you wouldn't. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's terrifying. And then moving to LA, you know, I moved here. I stayed with a friend for a couple of days, found an apartment on Craigslist, didn't have a job. Mm-hmm. I didn't know where my income was going to come from. Mm-hmm. Um, and knew that I wanted to do comedy, but what does do comedy mean? <laughs> 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 and how do you do that? I mean, the entertainment industry is, um, okay, I'm going to mess up Winston Churchill's, but like an enigma inside a rapper, you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. so, um, non-linear is what I would say. So I was moving from a very linear, more linear, not maybe not very linear because I, I moved to Shanghai, uh, but a, a more linear career path. And then switching from that to having no idea what I needed to do next. I mean, do I find an agent? Okay. What kind of agent? A commercial agent, a theatrical agent, a voiceover agent? Like what? A manager? What do I do? Um, and like, even knowing that that's something I should be doing. And then, okay, how do I get there? Headshots? <laughs> you know, like yeah. if I have pictures of my face, will someone hire me? <laughs> you know, so it was just really kind of a, a crazy thing. Um, but since I had moved, it's well, the first time I moved abroad, I did the Fulbright and I moved to Luxembourg. So at least with that, I had a government grant that was. Mm-hmm you know, a safety net and really helped me make that first move abroad. Um, but okay, there's no safety net here and I have no idea what I'm doing. And it was terrifying just kind of being like, trusting in myself, I guess. Mm. Of like, well, I figured it out before um, and this is different, but also similar. And so I'm just gonna figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and my first year was really hard. I was underemployed. I was burning through my savings. Um, I, I had a roommate who was an alcoholic. And so it was a really tough time. I didn't know how I would make money. I didn't know um, where the next paycheck was coming. I didn't know how to make money because there is no like, roadmap for creative careers um but luckily I I read The Artist Way which is a great book by Julia Cameron and it's kind of like a workbook where you write each morning what's called morning pages you write three pages where you just kind of dump all the negative thoughts out of your mind um so I read that book and I it's very much just like keep going keep writing keep doing it'll happen. And so I'm very lucky that it started happening. Um, I started writing for the YouTube channel that I'm on. 
I started getting published in satirical publications, and then I had some personal essays published. One of them went viral. Um, I got published in a literary review. I got on BuzzFeed. Like, I got on the Chunky Zeta. I was a lead actress in that, which was such a huge breakthrough. And just basically the producer, I was friends with the head writer and the producer saw my picture on Facebook and was like, she's perfect for this role. And so I came in and auditioned and I was eight months into LA, had no idea what I was doing, but was a lead actress in some, in something that's now on Amazon prime. Um, and so like through that, I was just learning every day. Like I'd go to set and I have one of the top roles and I'm just trying to listen to everyone and absorb as much as possible because mm -hmm. I don't anything about what I'm doing um and I was like and um I guess another thing is everyone says be easy to work with which seems I mean as a what does that even mean <laughs> yeah so as a business person you would think be easy to work with is an obvious thing mm -hmm. um, but what I've learned since coming to LA is there's a lot of people here who in their hometown, they were, you know, they did, they were the lead in the play. They were the unicorn. And then they come to LA and they're just a horse, but they think they're a unicorn. Oh, wow. And so there's a lot of people who are really difficult to work with. And I'm sure you've heard about them, you know, mm -hmm. like directors and actors. Um, so that was advice that I was given. I was given to just be easy to work with. So when I went to set, I would remind myself, I mean, I think I'm already easy to work with. I was a manager. It's kind of hard to become a manager if you're difficult. Well, it happens. I should take that back. Um, but so I went to set and was like, okay, I'm going to be professional. I'm going to know my lines. Um, I might see unprofessional things around me, but I'm always going to stay professional and I'm always going to be easy to work with and respect the people around me. I'm new. I don't know what I'm doing but I have to fake that I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. What I can control is how easy it is to work with me. So um, that was like very much a mindset going into it. And, and I think that's so important is, you know, respect everyone around you, treat them all with respect, and then they will hopefully treat you with respect. And if they don't treat you with respect, that's okay. You got the job, you did the work, you don't have to work with them again. That is so interesting because a lot of people feel like they have to have it all figured out before they leap. You know, they, they feel like they have to have the pieces to the puzzle. And you said something that was so profound. You said, there's no roadmap for creative careers. And you just jumped in and you also said, observe and listen. And I think a lot of people miss that because they're trying to prove themselves instead of learning and growing and understanding that it's an ongoing process. Oh, so. yeah. I don't think people ever, I mean, I still have no idea what I'm doing. Like when I think back to how much I knew two years ago and how much I know now, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, I knew nothing. Not even the same person and, yeah. and, and aren't the same as you will be next week. Yes. Yes. So I always like, they always say fake it till you make it. And mm -hmm. I 100% believe in this. And I think that often women, um, 
you know, we're, we're told to be humble and to speak when spoken to and show respect. Um, I don't think that helps us. I think that we need to fake it till we make it. And that doesn't mean be fake. Mm -hmm. It means be confident and respectful. And so, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm talking to everyone as if I know what I'm doing. It's just that I'm, I, I am acting like I know what I'm doing. And if I don't, I ask, or I listen, or I try and observe. And if I hear something I don't fully understand, I'm, sometimes I'll ask people, but if it's not the right setting, I don't ask them. But afterwards, I go back and I look it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, yeah, I think it's really important because you have to kind of visualize where you want to go and you have to make that happen. If you only visualize where you don't want to go, you will go there. <laughs> because you will, you'll kind of like obsess over it. And then that becomes your reality. And the subconscious will take over. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. That is so interesting. Um, I also wanted to, to make listeners aware you're a podcast host. Yes. Yeah. So I host a show called uh, women, uh, women behind the screen with Kristen Van Nest, which is me. Um, And the show is about, highlighting all the women who make your favorite TV shows. So in Hollywood, um, only 4% of the top 100 directors are women. And the WGA, which is the writing union, did a survey and found that 64% of women have said that they've been sexually harassed at work. That's women writers in Hollywood. 64%, that's six out of 10 women. That's the majority of women. And that's what's reported. Yeah, that's what's reported. Mm-hmm. So there is a huge disparity in Hollywood, and there are not a lot of women at the top. And even worse, there are not a lot of women in the middle. So what happens is young screenwriters and people who are new to the industry don't have a ladder to get to the top. There's no one there who's taking a chance on them. So what I wanted to do is highlight all those people who work behind the scenes on shows and talk to those women about what they do. So I've had a bunch of writers on and, um, and it's really amazing. I mean, there people like I, as a writer, I've listened to podcasts. I've listened to like Dax, Dax Shepard's podcast, um, where he interviews celebrities in the industry. I listened to script notes, which is a screenwriting podcast but they're all run by men and sometimes they interview women which is great but there's no podcast that's by women for women Mm -hmm. and so that really inspired me because even in my own search for information like I said I'm always trying to find my way to the next step in my own search for information I couldn't find that ladder I couldn't find the first steps to hold on to and so my goal with the podcast is to interview these women so that other women can hear their stories and find that ladder and pull themselves to the top. Um, And I also run a group of over 2000 women screenwriters on Facebook where we literally just give each other advice. That's it. It's just, Hey, I'm looking for a manager. How do you do this? I'm doing this, blah, 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 blah. Um, But it's only women. So it's, it's, it's kind of a safe environment because some of the other groups have some, um, frustrating men in them I'll just put it that way so um yeah I'm 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 always trying to help other women 
um, figure it out because they, we don't have enough resources. So you just answered my question. I had a question for you and I was going to say, why only women? But you said two things. You said resources for women and you said safe space. And I wanted to ask that because a lot of people, men, people in the universe, they always ask, why do we only specify women? Why do we only work with women? Why do we only, you know, um, serve women. What What is your take on that? Because you've mentioned several topics that that I got from just what you've said alone about the disparities, about the environment, about the lack of resources, about the encouragement, about the support, about weeding out the negative. What, from your words, other than what I've gotten from you, why do you think it's important for women like us to build platforms for women? Um, so just as like contextual examples, um, when I would like, I would try and advertise my group in other groups mm -hmm. of screenwriters and be like, Hey, I made a group just for women. Mm -hmm. And men would come back and be like, well, why don't you make a group just for men? And I'm like, Hey, um, 64% of women in the industry have said that they've been sexually harassed. And there's this thing called hashtag me too, that you should Google. <laughs> Um, but, and that usually stopped them. They'd usually stop at that point, but there's just like this un, un, um, I found that there was an unawareness from not all men, obviously, but some men. And it was so frustrating as a woman to post a question and then have men who kind of mansplain as opposed to give good feedback. Mm -hmm. So I saw that was constantly happening, at least for me. Um, where it was by asking a question, certain men took it as a platform to talk about themselves or whatever. I've had men reach out to me and be like, hey, if you need someone to read your screenplay, you know, I actually charge people and I'll read it for you. And I'm like, cool, can you send me your IMDb and credentials? What other screenplays have you worked on? Oh, no, I just, you know, I'm, a, I'm good at it. What? <laughs> you want me to pay someone to pay you someone who has less experience than me to give me feedback on my work? What? Mm -hmm. um, and so there were a lot of situations like that. Um, and so I think the great thing about safe space is you can, you can work on your stuff without having to deal with all that noise that's just so frustrating. Um, and in Shanghai, LA is a little bit more, um, self there's there's more it's more progressive but in shanghai there were a lot when i started out um my first time ever going on stage the male host said speaking of boobs here's Kristen van nest well, no I'm, way i'm already nervous i'm already i've never been you know on stage before i'm already behind this the the behind the black you know screen like shaking kind of like shaking out my nerves mm. and then I walk onto stage and people have just been told to look at my private parts my lady oh my gosh um, so I you know I just like said I was like I call him big papa biggie small same person different sizes <laughs> and luckily won over the crowd but that's not my ideal way of going on stage you know <laughs> not how I want to be introduced. I want to be introduced, you know, for my credentials, for what I do, whatever. Um, so I saw, and, and I saw so many 
I mean, stand up. I don't do stand up anymore because it's it's not my favorite form. I do you know improv. I do acting, directing, writing. Um, but I've seen so many sexist jokes that it just kind of is soul crushing, and it's so hard to keep going and to be surrounded by people who you just know have issues with women. They say that you're a mixture of the five people you spend most of your time with. Mm-hmm. And it was a situation where I'm like, oh, wow, I'm around a lot of men who tell sexist jokes every night because Mm -hmm. I get on stage with them. Mm -hmm. And because sadly, in a lot of smaller comedy markets, that kind of humor works. And guess what? Women stop going because they hate that humor. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy where you have people who tell sexist jokes and a crowd that likes sexist jokes because everyone else is like, um, no, no, I don't want to pay for this. So it gets really, it gets really tough. And even in, when I was in Shanghai, the clubs were owned by men and it became, you know, they would say, the club owner would say, I only, you know, I'm not just promoting people because they're gender or race or whatever. I'm picking the best people. And it's like, well, guess what? Your best people happen to look exactly like you. Mm-hmm. And they tell the same jokes you want about how difficult it is being a white man dating. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of that going on. And that's why I think safe spaces are important is because it's a space where you can talk about what your strategy is and how you're going to get around that. Because spoiler alert, if a man is sexist, guess what? He doesn't listen to women. Mm -mm. So I hate, I've had so many times where men are like, you need to speak up and tell those men that they shouldn't do that. And if, you know, there's a point where you should try and speak up and see if they're open to it. But guess what? A lot of men aren't open to it. Mm -mm. So other men need to explain it to them because they listen to other men. They don't listen to women. Exactly. You're absolutely right. And, you know, I think that when you break it down that way, people get it because and then some will never get it. Uh, and like you said, men listen to men. And that is the reality. You know, we aren't seen as authority figures. So therefore, we have to function in our arena. And I think women are finally taking a stand. You know, you mentioned the fact that this isn't new, that the sexist jokes are there, that these arenas are made for men, that opportunities are available for them. We've had to just kind of conform, accept, ignore for all these years and now it shows that we have made a lot of progress yet we have so much more work to do and one thing that i've tried to emphasize to women is that we have to work together we have to stop this competition we have to stop beating each other up we have to unite we have to work together because we're facing the same battles they may look different the seasons may come at different times but most of the things that we face as women other women have faced. And when we have somebody to look up to, when we have someone that's behind us and we can pull them up, then we save a lot of time, we save a lot of pain, and we save a lot of energy. And we have to do that. Because I'm listening to you, you have chosen fields that are dominated by men, marketing, comedy, LA, um it's almost like you just kind of dumped yourself right into that pocket 
Maybe and, I'm a little bit of a masochist. Maybe. I'm a <laughs> but for many of us, that's our reality. You know, I worked in law enforcement for ten years, and you know, I had to be. Um, you know, everybody assumed I was gay because I wore short hair and BDUs. And it's like, I don't have to be anything to do what I love to do. I can be me. And whatever that means for me, it's up to me. It's not for anybody else to sit and dissect, to sit and talk about because there's nothing else to do for eight hours. You know, it's a thing, but we have to stop allowing ourselves to be, you know, that object. And I hope that by you telling your story, by you talking about it and you having a podcast and even who would have thunk that there was a group for screenwriters, for women screenwriters, you know, when you're, you're in your realm, you never think about what's out there for other people. But I hope that women see that no matter what it is that they're, they're in facing, working in what communities, you know, they, um, they live in that there's resources out here for just about everything. Yeah. And if you, and if you don't see them, which when I started screenwriting, there wasn't, I was like, I'll just created it. Yeah. Yeah. I I love your comment too, about supporting each other. Um, I had a tough situation recently where I found out a friend of mine was flying to Arizona to see Louis CK and she's not involved in comedy. So, you know, okay. Different fields, but, um, she was like, oh, well, you know, I mean, he always asked the women before he masturbated. Um, and I'm like, uh, what? Like, and as someone in the field, um, I knew about Louis C.K. masturbating in front of women before it was public knowledge because everyone knew about it. My friends in New York who were com- comedians in New York had told me about it because they firsthand new women he had masturbated in front of. So imagine how crazy that is. Like, you know, they say never meet your idols. Imagine this is your big breakthrough. You're opening for Louis CK. You have worked your ass off on nights for hundreds of hours on stage. And then he's like, oh, let's go chat comedy after the show. And you go back to his his um, hotel room because guess what? There is no office for us. We don't have an HR. We don't have an office. If you're on the road, the hotel room's the office, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you go back to his room, his room or even the green room, that's literally where you performed. And then your colleague, who is senior to you, asked to take his penis out and masturbate in front of you. I mean, for me, that is just so logically not okay. And so I, like, it really upset me that a female friend would pay to fly from Los Angeles to Arizona to watch his show and doesn't think about like, what about the women at that theater? They now know that the theater that they've performed at is totally cool. Having someone who's sexually harassed women perform there. I mean, I wouldn't feel safe performing at that theater after that. And so I really think that women need to be proactive in in sticking and men men need to do better as well Mm -hmm. um but it's just kind of a frustrating thing and we do like you said we can't compete we need to lift each other up Mm -hmm. um and even if it's not fully something we understand we need to be against it and we can't spend money supporting people who have done terrible things to women 
Absolutely. And I never thought that this day would come, you know, we think about it all day long, but we kind of face our own battles and just, you know, keep trucking. But nowadays it's just knowing that this is so common. Every time I hear something now, I'm not surprised because of the environments that I worked in. Um, Nothing surprises me. And that's sad. And, you know, I have two daughters now, so I always think about that. But like you said, you know, one thing that I, I talk about a lot is that growing up as with a single mom, I never saw a man in a, a father role, a husband role. Um, when you grow up with that vacancy, you have an expectation of respect, but you, you never have the expectation that you kind of don't know what to expect otherwise getting married having healthy relationships you know knowing what a man's role is in a house what your role is because we're taught to do everything we're taught to be strong we're taught to overcome we're taught to face anything and keep moving you know try to hold your head up despite somebody saying or showing you something that you didn't ask to see you know i can't say how many times i've seen it you know and it's it's those kind of things that that happen to us that were normalized yeah. You know, yeah. And I think, um, you know, we're all taught. I mean, the great thing is that we like things are progressing forward slowly, but surely, but they're happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, everyone is taught kind of different roles of how men are supposed to act or of how women are supposed to act. And so it can be tough to figure out you're because you're interacting with people who have been given a different playbook than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why being open and communicative is so important. But also, like I was saying before, it's, is the other person listening? That is true. Um, because if the other, if you keep trying to be open and forward and the other person isn't listening, you know, you can't, you can't, there's nothing you can do. And on your end, you have to listen. Like you're saying, like, you know, my, my parents are divorced as well. And so I don't have, I didn't see necessarily a healthy relationship growing up. Mm-hmm. And so as an adult trying to create healthy relationships, both with a man and with my friends, um, it's a lot of navigating things that you just don't know. And so you just have to keep kind of trying and listening and working on yourself. And that's really the only way to just keep going. It's, it's the same as fake it till you make it. You just have to keep trying and keep believing in yourself and listening. That is so true. Absolutely. Well, I want you to tell listeners um, what upcoming projects you have, where they can find you, and how to get in touch with you. Yeah, cool. So um, for any upcoming projects, follow me on on Twitter and Instagram at Kristen Van Nest, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-V-A-N-N-E-S-T. I post everything I do on there. I do a bunch of different things, so (laughs) that's usually the easiest way to find my projects. Um, I do a lot of like funny personal essays. We talked about a lot of personal stuff today, actually. Um, my comedic sketches, and then I do funny characters, usually based on crazy people that I've met in LA. Um, and then also check out my podcast, Women Behind the Screen with Kristen Van Nest. I've interviewed a writer, the youngest writer on the Veep team. Um, I've interviewed a writer from The Bold Type, where she talks about how they address issues facing women on that show. 
Um, and then I've interviewed a writer from the Kelly Clarkson show and another who's like worked on Dick Wolf from Law and Order, a bunch of his shows. So these are all amazing women and they all talk about how they made it to becoming a writer on a TV show, which is a very, trust me, a very difficult path. <laughs> so it's, they're all extremely um, inspiring and amazing people. So yeah, check those out. Awesome. And I will be sure to um, add her information in the description with all of her social media links, website links, and of course her podcast link. I want to thank you for being here. I never go deep into all of the women's issues, but as I evolve, I go back and I start talking about this because things, you know, are out there. They're in the media. They're, you know, they're alive and we, we need to keep the conversations going. You know, there was a time when conversations weren't even started. Now that we have them started, we need to nourish them. We need to educate and we need to inspire women to have courage. So thank you so much for what you do. Oh, thank you. Thank you for what you do too. It's amazing what you're doing as well for women. All right, listeners, that has another edition of Your Voice, Your Power with Anika. Thank you guys for tuning in and remember, stay powerful. Thank you.